in order to grab it down here, Paul, so I don't break it. <laughs> Morning, Hillcrest. Uh, my name is Brian Stefile. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, and unfortunately, unlike David, where he can get away with the small table, I'm a little few years older than him, so my vision is such that I need the higher podium. Uh, we were talking this morning, maybe we should paint this black, but I think Paul might not like that uh, to blend in. So uh, <clears throat> anyways, I, I make fun of David every time he asks me to preach, and I didn't realize, Eric, either that we had a chance to say no uh, when we were asked to preach. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but every time David, every time I meet with David, uh, first of all, I'm going to try not to to pull a David and walk around a little bit more, but I'll probably fail pretty miserably soon. But, um, but I'm not up here to give David a break, okay? We have a plurality of voices. That's why David says I'm up here. But I had an epiphany this week. Maybe it was last week, and I was talking with David. So if you don't like anything I say, you, you know, talk to David about it. Um, but uh, I realize with the plurality of voices, I'm not just giving you guys a break from David or giving David a break. I'm giving Casey, his wife, uh, a break from hearing you every Sunday. So uh, that's really why I'm up here. Um, so those who've been following, uh, see, I can, the nice thing about being up here, I can make fun of David and he hate, can't do anything about it. Um, but we've been going through Luke um, for, since really the fall. Um, and going through Luke, we've been going through the entrance of the king is what we talked about in the fall. We talked about the birth of John the Baptist. We talked about the birth of Jesus. And then we started talking about the early ministry of John the Baptist and then the ministry of Jesus Christ. And last week, as we started the teachings, we talked about how Jesus went to his own hometown in Nazareth and how he was not welcome. No prophet has ever honored his hometown. Jesus informed them the meeting of his ministry, that his gospel, his ministry was not just for the Jews, this chosen people of God's that Jesus was going to extend that to the Gentiles. And they didn't like that message. And this hometown hero, they began to hate and wanted to kill him. And this is where we continue on in Luke today. So if you'll please join with me uh, to Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. Uh, remember to look ahead of time. So if you're using the blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 860. So if you turn with me, we'll, if you will, to Luke chapter 4, 31 through 44. And when he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you do to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. 
But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Um, and let your text resonate with people today, Lord. As I've been struggling with this text, you have pierced my heart as your word is sharper than, two, uh, sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. I have found this text convicting for me. Let it be so for others, Lord. And in this whole process, let you increase and me decrease. Amen. So Jesus left Nazareth. So if you look on the map, he arrived at Capernaum, which is a small city located near the western shores of the Sea of Galilee, about 25 miles from Nazareth. And there were likely several reasons that he, he moved. Number one, as we already talked about, right, he was not welcome in his hometown. The people of Nazareth rejected him, so he moved on. The second thing is Galilee was part of the international pathway, travel roads, if you will, for trade. It was one of the greatest trade routes. Merchants from all over the world could be found there. It's from trade routes from Africa to Asia and Africa to Europe. By inaugurating his public ministry here in Galilee, Jesus was again doubling down on his ministry that the message was for everyone. Jesus was making a statement. This land would serve as a springboard to all nations. The kingdom of God encompassed a realm far beyond just ancient Israel. And third, Capernaum was close to Galen. And right before this, John the Baptist was arrested and beheaded. And Jesus, knowing this, moved to a place where that was closer to where Philip Antipas was in control in Galen, where, where Herod Antipas was in charge of Galilee. And so if things became worse, he was that much closer to that area. We read about this in Matthew. Now, when, we, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun Naphtali. If you go back to Luke, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. The authority of Jesus. We see a similar response documented in Matthew after the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew writes, When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What does this really mean, Jesus had authority? You see, Jesus' teachings were authoritative and had power, and yet the scribes and Pharisees did not? The Gospels don't really tell us what the difference was. Was it style or substance? And my guess is it was substance. The Pharisees and scribes often sat down while they preached, and we know in the Gospels that Jesus did the same thing. It was likely the substance, that Jesus taught in simple, straightforward ways where the Pharisees and scribes tend to talk in more academic, scholarly, and obscure ways. So one of the great things about being a dad are dad jokes. And my daughters want me to say a bunch up here, and I tell them, you know, this is not the bit for dad jokes. Uh, so if you want to hear some afterwards, uh, pull me aside. 
With my daughters, when they repeat the jokes to their friends and how bad they are, they don't quite get the intonation and the inflection right, right? Because they're not dads. They don't get it. They don't get that there's no such thing as a bad dad joke. Okay, the same is true. Jesus is the authoritative. He taught the scriptures as God. From God's point of view. Where the scribes and Pharisees taught the scriptures, they taught as men. Men with their own biases, their own flaws, their own secondary gain at times. Right? I've, I've listened to pastors and preachers, and again, I, I try not to do this, so call me out afterwards, please, not in the middle of it, if I do this. But, but sometimes preachers will take, they have an idea of what to preach on, and so they want to talk about this topic, and they'll pull texts out of context to say their point. Instead of, let the, instead of letting the text preach. Or right, we turn on the TV. Many scholars, TV evangelists, will preach a twisted versions of the Gospels for secondary gain, whether it's for fame, fortune, for own self-benefit. Jesus taught in simple, authoritative ways, ways because he wrote the scriptures. He was God. Now Luke, after telling us about his authority, then wants to go on and give us some examples. And in the synagogue, right now, compare this to Nazareth. Already in Nazareth, he was kicked out of the synagogue. So here he is in the synagogue again. There's a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you do to us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And as Luke is describing this event, you can just picture the contrast. Here is Jesus, the author of Scripture, calmly sitting down in a straightforward, simple way, explaining the strict scriptures. And here this demonic man, the man filled with a demon, right? This man had no control over anything in his life. This was not just someone who was a bad person. Everything was controlled by this demon, and everyone knew that. This wasn't a surprise when he walked in. In contrast to Jesus being calm and sitting down, this man comes in, Angry, hostile. And what's interesting, if you look at the phrasing here, is how it comes across. Ha! Right? Already there's mockery from the demon. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? There's a question here. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. There's a recognition that he is the son of God. And he points that out in front of everyone. See, now we have the benefit of knowing the full story, right? We, we know the end. We know what happens. And the Satan and the demons knew that the Messiah would spell the end of Satan and his horde, right? We know that Adam and Eve, when they, they sinned, and Satan played a big part of that, right? We know that God said in Genesis 3.15, that the Messiah would crush the head of the serpent. So Satan and the demons knew this. And right, they probably had the same altered thought that Jesus would come with this horde of heavenly angels and overthrow Satan. So here, Jesus is preaching calmly in the synagogue. And there's confusion here. The demon is almost like a wounded animal, confused, scared, doesn't know what's going on. The demon couldn't figure out Jesus' game plan. 
Satan and his demonic horde had no idea how Jesus would crush the head of Satan. So in this confusion, he cries out, Ha! Have you come to destroy us? Because I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Look at Jesus' response. His response is a rebuke. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Just as God spoke this world into existence, Jesus cast the demon out of this man with only his voice. One rebuke from the creator. One rebuke. and The demon had to listen. Now, despite having to listen and follow Jesus' instructions, the demon tries one more thing. Right? There's so much hatred and contempt for his creator, for God, that he throws this man down violently in one final attempt. Fine, if I can't be here, this man will die. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Despite the demon's attempt to cast this man down violently and kill him, Luke, the physician, makes a point that God's power extended not just beyond calling out the demon, but to ensure that this man had no further harm. And right, the people of Capernaum knew this man. He wasn't a stranger. He knew this demon-possessed man because I'm sure war was all around town and suddenly he's healed. You can't help but spread that word. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands these spirits, the unclean spirits, and they come out. Now, what might be missed in this interaction, right, is the quickness of this. Jesus is preaching. The demon comes in, hostile and angry. Christ rebukes him, and immediately he leaves. This is not some drawn-out exorcism. Jesus spoke And the demons listened, not eventually. It's not like when I tell my kids, do something, and eventually it will happen. Right? Jesus spoke with way more authority than I have as a parent. And immediately the demon listened. And reports went about him to every place in the surrounding regions. Word spread. Because this was a big deal. After witnessing the power and authority of Jesus, news spread throughout the region. And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon Peter's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And I won't make any mother-in-law jokes here. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon Peter. Now, his mother-in-law had a fever and when I first read this text, right, what's the first thing that comes to your mind Right? We see fevers all the time. So many of you know I have five daughters. Three of them are biological. Two of them are adopted. And my youngest one is adopted from China. And we got her when she was 18 months, and she's nine now and going on 18, I think. Uh, <clears throat> but about two months after we brought her home, she had a fever. She was eating fine. She was acting fine. She had a fever. My wife took her in. Now, I can tell you as a physician, Dr. Goodspeak can probably admit to this, right? I'm the worst person to talk to when it comes to taking my kids to the doctor. Don't, you don't need to. They're fine. They'll be fine. Rub some dirt in it, right? And my kids called me on this because I didn't realize that I said this, but after years of saying this, they, every time they asked me, 
you know, this hurts, that hurts. Give it a day or two, it'll be fine. Right? So my wife took my daughter in for this fever. Didn't even ask me, just took her in. She calls me later at work. Yeah, it's so amazing. She had an ear infection. None of our other girls had ear infections. Yeah, because we never took them in. (laughs) They got better. Right? We get so flippant about fevers today, right? But in ancient Israel, there was no Tylenol. There was no antibiotics. There was no thermometers. Right? So a true fever in the medical world is 100.4 or higher. So don't go to see your doctor when it's (laughs) 99.9. So they didn't have thermometers to say, oh, this is a mild fever. It was clearly obvious that Simon's mother-in-law had a fever. And if we look at the writing of Hippocrates, right? The Hippocrates, where we say the Hippocratic Oath when we graduate from medical school. This is what Hippocrates wrote 400 years before Christ. The worst, most protracted diseases were continued fevers. This is a physician saying the worst diseases were protracted fevers. He goes on, they showed no real intermission, although they showed paroxysmals, sort of paroxysms in the fashion of tertiary fevers. On one day, remitting slightly, becoming worse the next. They began mildly, but continually increased each paroxysm, carrying the disease to a further stage. Shivering fits and sweats were less frequent and most irregular in these patients. The extremities were chilled and could not be warmed unless with difficulty. Insomnia occurred, followed by coma. And as a physician, Luke knows fevers are a big deal. Hippocrates said they were almost the worst thing at that time. If we look at the studies now, we think that these were probably malaria or typhoid. So this prolonged fever that Simon's mother-in-law had was a big deal. She's been probably sick for weeks, shivering. Then the shivering goes away. Maybe she's lethargic, barely in consciousness. This was not some mild ear infection. This was a big deal. So Simon Peter, the they, Simon and his family, is begging um, begging Jesus to do something. And Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. See, other accounts in the Gospels talk about Jesus' healing, laying hands on them, touching them. But Luke makes a point here. Jesus didn't lay his hands on Peter's mother-in-law. He rebuked the fever, and it left immediately. Just like the demon-possessed man, it left immediately. The fever left. And just like the demon-possessed man had no residual effects, Simon's mother-in-law got up and rose immediately and served them. Why does Luke make a point of this? Because she's completely healed. When I had COVID, for like eight weeks, it took me to get back to where I was lifting and working out. It was miserable, right? Here she was with malaria or typhoid, and instantly she's better with no residual effects. Just rebukes the fever, and instantly she's healed in all capacity. Now, it was still the Sabbath day, right? He was preaching in the synagogue. It's the Sabbath when he healed mother, Simon's mother-in-law. And as the day was nearing an end, the end of the Sabbath occurred, and we read, the sun was setting. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. 
and laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. These were not minor aches and pains. These weren't minor illnesses, right? They couldn't carry people to see Jesus on the Sabbath. So when the sun sets, you can imagine, right? Dozens, if not hundreds of people, because word has spread out, carrying their really sick family, loved ones, relatives, friends to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? If we read on, he laid his hands on every one of them. Now he doesn't rebuke everyone. He lays his hands on them. And he heals them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God, but rebuke them when not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, right? And when it was day, don't miss this. So Jesus walks from Nazareth to Capernaum. Whether he did that Friday, probably whether he could walk 25 miles on the Sabbath, I don't know, maybe he did, the scripture doesn't tell us, but he preached in Capernaum, in the synagogues. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. Nighttime comes, he's healing all night long. When it was day. Now, I don't know how many times you've been up for 24 hours, but we sometimes forget that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Here he is, Sunday morning, Sabbath is Saturday, right? So he's Sunday morning exhausted. So when I thought about this, this was sort of a mini conviction for me. I won't tell many years ago, but when I was a resident, things had gotten a little bit better. They were way worse in Dr. Goodspeed's day than mine. But I went to the hospital around five o'clock every morning. And every fourth night, I was on call. And that meant I got to leave the hospital, if I was lucky, at noon the following day. Often with no sleep. 30 hours. And I would come home and crash, and sometimes I would do that every other day. Right? Sometimes I'd play video games because I could stay awake. It was more important than sleep. But never once did I pray. Never once, after being thoroughly exhausted, did I pray. And what does Jesus do? When it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. Now, Luke doesn't tell us he prayed. But we know from Mark, he did. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Right, wow. When I'm exhausted from work, just a normal 11-hour day, do I come home and pray or do I flip on Netflix? Right? Jesus was up for 24 hours or more and he prays. Now, I'm sure it didn't take too long for the crowds to find him. Unlike the people of Nazareth, the people of Capernaum didn't want Jesus to leave. They sought him and came to him and would have Kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. You see, Jesus is telling us miracles are good. But there's something more important. There's a priority of purpose here. Jesus was called not for the miracles. Jesus was called to preach the gospel. It was David talked about last week when he wrote, wrote, read from Isaiah the week before in Nazareth. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me in Isaiah because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
and sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive. Jesus' priority was prayer and preaching the gospel, not just miracles. And he continued to preach to the synagogues of Judea, not just in Capernaum, not just in Galilee, but all of Judea. Now look at this passage. There's a harsh reality here as we try to apply this to our everyday lives. You see, the people of Nazareth, after hearing the message that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, they tried to kill Jesus. The people of Capernaum didn't want Jesus to leave. And they searched for him until they found him. And I tried to think through this week, what would my response be? Right? Would I be so focused on being a people set apart, the law was for the Jews, that if I heard Jesus' message, would I try to kill him? Or if I saw his miracles, would I be in awe and, and try to prevent him from leaving? Luke is showing us two vastly different responses to Jesus, but I would argue that if those groups of people were interchanged, the response would be exactly the same. If Jesus performed miracles in Nazareth, they wouldn't want him to leave. If you told the Capernites what his actual message was, they would have tried to kill him as well. You see, in Nazareth, the people were in awe and wonder. But when they heard his message, they wanted to kill him. In Capernaum, they were in awe and wonder at his miracles. When they saw the healings and the miracles, they didn't want him to leave. And the demons... They were obviously in awe and wonder, confusion as well. And what do these three groups of people have in common? There was wonder at who this person was. There's curiosity. There was amazement. But all three groups had one other thing in common. There was unbelief. Now you may say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going a little too far. I'm going to email David on this one. Right? But let's not forget what Matthew records in chapter 11. Then he began to announce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sodom, they would have repented long ago in sackcloths and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sodom than for you. And woe to you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted in heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for you. Wow. The message of John the Baptist was, repent, for the Messiah is coming. The message of Jesus is, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. The miracles were just to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. The people responded with wonder and praise, but they did not repent. When he didn't meet their expectations, they tried to kill him. 
when he removed their pain and suffering, he was so popular. When he told them his purpose, he was unpopular and they wanted to kill him. And when I look at all the different responses to Jesus 2,000 years ago, the truth of the matter is we see the same thing today. Life is so challenging and hard. We talked about that. This is why we have our life groups. Life is hard. To quote one of the greatest movies of all time, The Princess Bride, right? Life is pain, princess. If anyone tells you otherwise, they're selling something. Like, life is hard. Pain and suffering is part of life. We struggle with sin. Circumstances in our lives may cause us to doubt God. Could be loss of a job, financial struggles with inflation, marital problems, illness, a terminal diagnosis, loss of a loved one. When we're in life's valley and there's nowhere else to go further down, what do we do? We have to look up. We look up and cry out to God, God, alleviate my pain. Heal me. This is what I want. Nothing more. I want your gifts. I just don't want you. Too often we try to make Jesus our spiritual genie in a bottle to pull out whenever we want. And I am guilty of this as anyone else. Over the holidays, uh, we were visiting my mother-in-law and she didn't have a fever. <laughs> but they live in rural, rural Wisconsin. They live in this valley. And they have a gator, which is kind of like a four-wheeler. But, um, and so my, one of my wonderful daughters and her cousins and my other daughters were all on this gator for about several hours riding around in this cornfield. My daughter came back in and couldn't find her cell phone. Oh, it's okay, Dad, just ping it. There's no reception in the valley. So at 9 o'clock at night, I'm out there with a flashlight, realizing this is futile. This is literally a needle in a haystack. I go out the next morning. It's cold. I wish I could say I was the best spiritual father at that moment. I was angry. I was frustrated. And after searching for several hours, I say a flippant prayer. God, let us find the phone. Now, it's not wrong to pray in that moment. But my heart wasn't in it. I didn't pray for God to use this situation to teach my daughter a lesson. I didn't pray, God, use this tough situation to show my daughter I love her regardless, regardless of what she does. Use this to show you how good you are. If we find this, God, give you the praise. But instead, I was cold, frustrated, and angry, and I said a flippant prayer. Because I wanted the gift, not the giver. I wanted my pain alleviated. I didn't like my circumstances. And I said, God, fix it. And just like the people of Capernaum, I longed for the miracle, but I didn't long for Jesus at that moment. And just like the Nazarenes, others may be in awe of Jesus, but hate him for his message. I had a co-worker several years ago who had such a visceral reaction to Jesus' message that there's an absolute right or wrong, that not everyone goes to heaven. We were talking one day, and she literally said in a very heated manner, 
I believe in God. I just don't believe in your Jesus. She prays every day, which more than some of us in this room do. She hates Jesus for his message, just like the Nazarenes. Others may miss Jesus for who he really is and not surrender like the demons. Now, again, I'm not trying to imply that my friend is a demon here, but, but I have a friend who is an atheist, doesn't believe in God, but watches the 1977 miniseries Jesus of Nazareth every few years and just loves it. His eyes light up when he tells me about that. I've not seen it, but he's like, oh, the scene, the scene when he puts the Pharisees in their place. Mm, go, Jesus, right? His eyes light up, but he doesn't surrender his life to Jesus. Others may see the miracles, hear the gospel, and surrender everything for Jesus. As we'll read about next week, Simon Peter, whose mother-in-law was healed, Gave it all up for Jesus. And this should give us hope for today. It's so easy to be discouraged when we look at the response of the world to Jesus. Many will hear the message, but not all will receive it. You see, the demons rebelled to Jesus. The people of Capernaum wanted to receive the gifts, but nothing more. The people of Nazareth refused. But Peter Peter repented and followed Jesus. So I ask you today, do you rebel against Jesus? Do you receive just his gifts? Do you refuse his message because you don't like parts of it? Or do you repent? For those of you who have yet to treasure Jesus, don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Don't be so distracted by the world and miss Jesus. Don't let the hypocrisy of Christians cause you to trip up and miss Christ. You're so often not a great representation of him. Don't be demoralized by the pain and suffering in this world and miss Jesus. Often the pain and suffering is what points us to him. The priority of Jesus' purpose was not healing, but spiritual transformation, spiritual healing. And I invite the worship team to come up as I close here. So if you have yet to treasure Jesus, don't miss Jesus. For those of you who already treasure Jesus, I have two points. Number one, take a hard Look at your life. Do some introspection this week and ask yourselves, do I really treasure Jesus? Or am I really on the outside a Christian, but on the inside a Capernaite or Nazarene? Do you really treasure Jesus? Or do you treasure his gifts? Do you really treasure Jesus? Or are you just like parts of his message? And I was struggling. If God took it all away, if took everything away good in my life, would I still treasure Jesus? For those of you who can answer that question honestly, that yes, I treasure Jesus at all times. Don't be discouraged. 
as we discuss so often, continue to be an everyday missionary. Don't miss Jesus, his spiritual healing. Though many will hear the message, not all will find it and receive it. Continue to be an everyday missionary. Pray for God to put people in your lives. Watch for those moments and step into them. Pray, watch, step. Continue to be an everyday missionary. And Jesus was a missionary his whole life. And not everyone accepted him. And so when you're out there being an everyday missionary, everyone will hear it, but not all will receive it. So don't be discouraged. Continue to be an everyday missionary. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Just please make us uncomfortable. Make us really take a hard look at our lives, Lord. And so many times, I'm sorry, forgive me for being like Capernaum, for being like the Nazarenes, wanting part of you, wanting your gifts, but not you, Lord. Just wreck us today. Make us uncomfortable and test us to where our true treasures lie. Do we only look for you in the valleys or do we look for you in the mountaintops too, Lord? Just make us uncomfortable with this world and know that we're everyday missionaries because we're aliens in this world and what matters is you, not this world. We just thank you for all you've done for us and all you continue to do for us. Amen.